morning crypto. Good morning, Warrior Maniacs. How are you today? My name is Johnny Crypto with a K, and I'm wishing you guys all a great day. And welcome back to another episode of your favorite news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics in the world. While Abs is still floating away somewhere, I don't know, on a metal can somewhere in the South Pacific Sea, I'll be your host <laughs> today, joined by three of my family members. We've got the ETH Maxi and the man whose hair, I'm just kidding about the Max part, <laughs> whose hair even gluten George Clooney would be jealous of. We got Super G joining us today. We also have Mario. I may not be Luigi, but he's still my brother from another mother. Super Mario chilling with us today, Mario. Great to see you. And of course, it wouldn't be right. If I didn't bring on at least one Italian this week, a fellow Paisan and attorney, Freddie Rispoli, joining us today in the house. We're happy to have you here. But before I get to all the hellos, let me walk you through what we're going to talk about today. So today we were talking, unfortunately, about the sad state of the U.S. dollar and how the BRICS are doing everything in their power to kill it. Uh, we'll talk about Stuart Alderati as he reveals what the SEC offer was had they not refused it. Um we also reveal some of the price targets for XRP in 2024. We'll share that with you, and we'll get some discussion going on what we think could happen. Then we'll hop into discussions regarding the BTC ETF, some launch dates, Grayscale's move, and then our top story today, Kraken jumping into the XRP lawsuit. What does it mean? Are they here to help Ripple? Or are they here to help themselves? So stick around to find out. Our show is available on your favorite podcast like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern time on the 3T Warrior channel. So with that said, guys, before we hop into it, I'm going to kick it around the room. I'm going to start off with my paisano, Freddie. How you doing, Freddie? It's been a while since we've seen you. How you feeling, buddy? And thank you for Oh, man, it, it has been a while. I'm feeling good. I had, uh, as as I told everybody on uh, the X handle, we had a trial going, a, uh, a med mal trial. did not go well. It's all right. That's how it goes. You know, you got to appeal these things. So we're doing that. But, so I was limping into the end of 2023, but thank God the crypto is green. Um, and uh, I'm excited to kind of move back into that zone. Have a lot of fun with you guys. Talk about some stuff today. And you know what? Life is overall good. And, you know, I'm happy to be here. So thanks for getting me on. Oh, you're welcome. We're happy to have you. Like I always say, as long as you're six feet above ground, breathing air, it's a good day. Gonzo, happy to see you, buddy. How you feeling today, pal? I'm feeling good, man. I'm, I finally have a day off. I'm going to be off the next few days. And and you know me, man, I'm 24-7. Yesterday was really fun doing the show with you. Got to do some technical analysis. That's that's playing out. You know, Bitcoin dominance is going to keep dropping. And these alts are, you know, are, are going to keep moving. We're going to get a rotation in capital. Um, you can see that things are starting to wake up. Ethereum starting to, to wake up a little bit, right? Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, people are fading uh, Ethereum with old tech and this and that. But, you know, d don't ever doubt or, or, or sleep on Ethereum because when it wakes up, it wakes up. Yes, it does. No doubt about it. For those of you who don't know Gonzo, he does not sleep. With that said, Mario, how are you doing today? Great to see you, buddy. How are you feeling? Great to be here. I'm feeling good, man. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone out there. Uh, super excited to be here. It is going to be a good show. It, it is an exciting time in the market. We're seeing, as Gonzo said, we're seeing these altcoins kind of pop off. We saw a little a little dippy correction from, from Bitcoin, which is totally normal. But yeah, I'm excited with the market conditions. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to start the new year soon. A little dippy conditions as we hop into it. Before we hop into the dippy conditions, let's start off with like how we always do with our 3T Warrior Academy 
Twitter channel or X or whatever the hell they call it today. Guys, swing on by. Check it out. Abs is always posting articles up there. Interact with us. Follow us. Also, go around and make sure you follow Freddie, Gonzo, Mario, and myself. We also have YouTube, uh, Twitter channels. We're always out there sharing information, trying to just to get that knowledge out there. With that said, today, it looks like we got quite a bit of green today happening, fellas. Whoops. We got a little bit of – we got quite a bit of green. We, and the big one, BSV. We've got Tau. We got Optimism, Mina, Matic. And so it's a few of them all popping there. It does look it does look a little Christmassy. It looks like a Christmas tree. We got a little red and green in the holiday spirit. But overall, we're, we're kind of trending, I think, to a bit of a I – mean, let's take a look at our fear and greed index. Guys, we're sitting at a 73. And like I tell everybody, if you see greed, greed means get the hell out of Dodge, all right? It doesn't mean buy, although everybody feels like it means buy. It means sell. Get out. Replace the word greed with sell. Replace the word fear with buy, and you'll actually win in this market, and you can make some money. So always do the opposite of how the rest of the market feels. And speaking of the market, we look at our Merlin market cap page. We can see today we're sitting at a total market cap of $1.6 trillion. We've got 50% BTC dominance, 16.3% Ethereum dominance. And we look across the board, Ethereum is down today, about 42934 We got Ethereum, I'm sorry, Bitcoin. We got Ethereum 2300 and BNB up, BNB kicked its way back into the top three. As you know, on the Merlin market cap page, we always show you the top three largest market caps. And we just continue to see that third one, Gonzo, keep flipping around. If you remember yesterday, Solana was up here. And today we got BNB. So BNB is trying to fight its way back into the top three. As we look through the prices today, we got Solana kicking back a little bit, pulling back down to 107. XRP sitting at 63 cents. Cardano. 62 Matic breaking a dollar up into a dollar six zone, but I know we still have a lot more to go there, guys. But before we get started, I'm uh, just wondering how are you guys pretty? You mentioned a little bit about the, the market, you're excited. How are you playing this market? Oh man, well, I'm uh of the uh Rao Powell mindset of don't F this up, and so <laughs> I've just got my my bags of various things. Um, and you know, I, I'd uh say that I mainly have uh Bitcoin and XRP, and then you know, a handful of uh, I guess that's not true, I got, I got a solid amount of some other things just floating around, so I'm not too uh two into everything. I don't chase anything. I'm just sitting here and just really waiting on my XRP. But, you know, I'm comfortable with uh, some Bitcoin, Ethereum to, you know, keep me safe just in case it doesn't happen. Yeah. And speaking of our poem, not messing up, we got a short video with a little advice from him. So I'm going to play that for you right now. Give me a thumbs up if you guys can hear the audio. No audio. I'm really tired. This freaking thing. Yeah. I shared it with the audio. It makes no sense. Hold on one second. You got to share the tab only. Yeah. I did. Yeah. That's the weird part. I did just a freaking tab. I'm going to try one more time. All right. Let's see if this works. Let me know if you guys can hear it, boys. Percent or 10% in the stuff you want to punt. So you can feed your inner, and if you need to feed your inner DGEN, 80% in stuff like that, and 20% or 10% in the stuff you want to punt. So you can feed your inner DGEN, but you don't screw up the whole trade. Again, don't fuck this up it's the key mantra for this market don't overtrade. don't use leverage don't fomo following your friends looking at a trade you missed out just stick with the program hold your trade add on sell-offs anything over 20 percent. add into it and just calmly let it play out don't overtrade. don't try and pick tops buy in buy out you'll miss it i've seen everybody do it 
I've done it myself. Just stick with the program, keep your cool head, hold it, store it on your ledger, don't let your exchange blow up and take it away from you. Don't do bloody DeFi farming because something else can take your coins away. Your job is to not part with your coins until 2025, particularly towards the end of 2020. I literally thought, Gonzo, that that was probably the best advice you can give anybody, especially a newbie getting started today. In 45 seconds, he summed it all up. What exactly what to do, what not to do, don't over leverage. <laughs> buy when it pulls back. But Godzo, let's hear your, the- your your thesis. How are you handling this market? Do you agree with yeah. Ralph Paul or are you playing it different? No, you know, it's good advice. Like I said, you know, you have to have your separation of like, you know, your, your small trading portfolios, maybe some swing trades, and then your spot portfolio or your long term, right? Like some projects have ran, you got to let those go, right? Look for the opportunities of projects that haven't run. It's so funny. I just had this discussion with Shelly, right? And she just absorbs everything that I talk about and shows and everything. And she's like, you were right about Solana. Are you going to buy more Solana? And I was like, uh, no. She's like, why not? Like, you're always talking about it. It looks like it's running. And I was like, uh, because it's gone. That trade is gone. Like, it's going to peel back, right? We're going to get a correction. Got to see where that support is. But like, you know, that's why it's important to build these positions, right? And then just let them sit. Everything is eventually going to rotate, right? We're going to get rotation into the ISO tokens. You're going to get a rotation to ETH. Solana is running first. ABAX, right? Link was still until this morning. I don't know. I got to look at it. But Link peeled back to $14, right? That was still kind of good entries on where Link is going to go, right? And so you have to look for those good projects that have good narratives that still have not run really hard. You don't want to chase these green candles because we're especially we're at a point of the market where you don't want to start kind of like buying and selling all of your position to try to catch something because you're going to get caught on the wrong side of the trade. It's easier to just build positions in things that haven't run yet and then just let them sit and then let them run right? This is a long-term thing. This is not a short-term thing. Obviously, if you're doing short-term swing trading or, or trading, that's different, but that's a small piece of your portfolio, right? Not your big overall portfolio. Yeah. And just like Ralph said, right, Mar, he said, just put 20%, oops, we put 20% of your holdings into T-Gen if you want, but put 80% into something stronger, Mar. What are you looking at? What place are you thinking? And more importantly, how are you playing this market? Well, I'm still holding strong. I, I did execute a little bit of a sell on Bitcoin a couple well, of weeks ago. I just want to clarify, are you holding strong the coin, the oh. note, or you're holding <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Well, funny you should say that. I am still holding a little bit from back then when nodes actually, well, those nodes as a service actually used to be a thing. And so I decided to just hold on to those coins and not really sell them because it wasn't worth it at $2. But I'm still holding a majority of my portfolio. Well, all of my portfolio. I sold a very tiny amount of Bitcoin. That was part of my exit strategy to get 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 a, a little bit of a sell at 43900 Uh, But yeah, I'm still holding. I was very close to triggering a sell on Solana. Um, $130 is 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 one of the targets for me. So we're we're pretty close there. But but yeah, keeping an eye on the market. Uh, 2025 into 2025. That's something that I don't know. I. I are we really going to go until the end of 2025 into into this like humongous bull run? It seems like a ways away. Like we're talking about two years. So I don't know. I have a feeling that we'll probably see a lot of the highs coming in towards the end of next year. I'm not so sure as to the end of 2025 uh, scenario, but we'll see how that plays out. Yep, yeah, I guess we'll see what what the market gives us, Mario. For sure, we know the last time it did go about a year and a half. Everybody is talking that it's going to start about nine months after the having. We know the having is coming, Freddie, uh, this month. But we're going to hop into that a little later in the show. So with that, hold said, on, I got to say, Gonzo, you got to just text me directly because I uh, I did get into Solana at forty, not life changing wealth or anything. 
but I, I did my same problem of never sell, hold things up and hold them all the way down. And you know, now I'm thinking, oh, if it's under 99, I'm going to buy some more Solana. So what, what should I be doing here? Yeah. I don't really, you know, I'll, I'll let know you know. If you want, I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a shout out when I'm doing my next entry, but definitely like looking for it to peel back of the support. Like we got to see how it does at 80, right? Um, there is a trend line and kind of like a fib pull somewhere between 50 and 30. As incredible as that seems, Right. Like it, if we get a significant pullback, we're going to get one. But for Mario, that's not a bad because I think Solana's going to 140. Like I think it's peeling back a little bit. But just remember, in January, you have the Jupiter airdrop. And what people are going to do is they're going to take that airdrop. And as that price rises, they're going to sell their Jupiter and they're going to put it back into the main chain, which is Solana. So Solana's going to have another kind of pump uh, in January as the Jupiter airdrop happens. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you know, Fred. <laughs> Ready? Yeah, that's what you should do. I'll tell you what you should do. You should have an exit plan, but we're going to talk about that a little later, so I'm going to save that as we move on. With that said, I'm going to kick it over to our, our first uh, – whoops, our yeah, wrong button. Sorry about that, guys. I'm going to kick it over to our first story of the day. We got the BRICS nation, so we know this about – guys, there's over 130 nations, believe it or not, that are moving towards the creating a CBDC, so that number just keeps growing and growing. No surprise there. We know that's coming, and – Unfortunately, what you have is the dollar being placed at risk as part of that um, sacrifice. So when you look through it, as, as they talk here in the article, um, the de-dollarization plan for the BRICS is coming. Overall digitization of finance, there's 130 nations that are, are shifting, moving towards a CBDC. Uh, the, you know, they've confirmed now that plethora of nations that are not only, not only moving towards it, but in advanced phases of the CBDCs. Uh, 41% of them said that, that they expect a CBDC to be here by 2028. And, you know, we've been saying for a while, or at least I have, that it's going to be a while before this stuff happens. It wasn't going to happen overnight. We're at least five years away. And that kind of falls right in that window. We're about three to five years away, guys, I think, before we start to see these technologies come through and, and become adopted. But what's scary here is with all these countries working on it, we know that they're pushing towards it. And there's talk about uh, creating. It on a global scale, but using local currencies and moving away from, as you can see here, the U.S. dollar to a greater degree. Now, when you think about it, the U.S. dollar has been the reserve, Freddie, for a very long time. And so the U.S. has been able to get away with, you know, inflating the dollar over and over again because of that. But what do you think happens here if we move away and we're on a CBDC and we're no longer the dollar is the world reserve? What's the impact that Americans could feel if we're no longer the world reserve currency? Now, well, you've been feeling it already for the last year whenever you go to the grocery store or mm -hmm. uh, you know, try and load up on any goods. I mean, it'll just be more and more expensive for um, everyday Americans to get things. And, you know, the advantage that uh, the American dollar gave all the residents will evaporate. I, I don't think it's... Um, happening anytime soon if you go by you know historical events but you know the thing that's different now is with everything becoming digital with xrp with other digital assets i mean it could happen a lot faster than than it normally you know has in in the historical past so you know it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on and that's why you diversify but i will say this i went to singapore um in uh maybe a month ago and i went to the casino there and when I went in to give them my U.S. dollars, they were like, just remember, this is the only currency we're not going to give you back. You can have all these other 10, 15 currencies when you wow. cash out. But no, no dollars for you. So, you know, people still want them dollars. 
<laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, was, I guess in some nations, certainly it makes sense, right? But <clears throat> Gonzo, as we continue along here, one of the things they talk about here is the fact that 11 nations have already launched their own CBDC pilot. And there's no denying in 2024 it presents a very important, it is a very important year to the U.S. dollar. It talks about here that moreover, allies, sorry, as U.S. allies such as Saudi Arabia and the U.A. adopt these other options, these other solutions, that could face, you know, be very, very bad for the U.S. because the only thing that's really driving the dollar, the fact that we're no longer connected to gold, is the petrodollar, right? The fact that all the oil in the world had to still be bought by the dollar. Well, check out this news today, Gonzo. This is not really good news here. What we just see here that the, uh, unfortunately, what I call it the end game, we see here that China just agreed to start buying, and so did Saudi Arabia, to buy U.S. to buy oil outside the U.S. financial system. So to me, it feels like the threat and the concern of, hey, the one big thing that, you know, they're talking about the BRICS, like, don't worry about it, you know, it's still going to use the dollar. But now that you can buy oil outside of the dollar, I don't know, it feels like end game to me. What do you think, Gonzo? Yeah, you know, uh, technical analysis is my game, not like economy. But from what I follow and what I read, it, it really seems like the petrodollar thing is like the beginning of the end. Again, it's not going to happen overnight. But I think when you look at it from the perspective of the other countries, they're kind of hedging their bets. I think they're just tired that we have control over the money supply. And as we print more money and inflation affects us, it really devastates their other currencies. And I think they're just kind of tired of it or they're just hedging. And so it doesn't happen overnight, but you're definitely going to see a shift, right? And, and you know, from what I've seen and what I've studied, I think we're going to end up, because then the other question is, okay, so what becomes the world reserve currency? Is it the yuan? Are, really, are people really going to trust the yuan and China to run the world reserve currency? So I, I don't think that's the answer either. I think you end up with some kind of conglomeration or some kind of like index of like a bunch of different currencies that are put together that become the world reserve currency anyways, but that's way down in the future. Like all, all we can do is what we can control in front of us and the trades that I can do. But you definitely can feel like that the middle and coach Shady's talked about this, the middle class is being eradicated and it's either going to be like extremely rich or extremely poor. Right. It feels like the gap is just widening and widening. Yeah. Mario Gonzo said something important there. I feel like the U S took advantage when you are the world reserve currency, you do have some responsibility and because the whole world counts on you and the U S abused it to the point now that we're seeing that they're getting stripped of it, right? It's about a hundred years, you know, typically on order. That's when we do see it. But I want to touch on one thing that Gonzo said, Mario, and get your thoughts. So Gonzo said that maybe the one, you know, will people actually adopt it? Well, I just read an article yesterday saying that the one is actually going to go and shift its policy to be gold backed. So no, they probably want to trust if it's not gold backed, but here's the question to you. If the one is gold backed, do you see the world shifting to it? Because now you got the, the number two world power, which will be one soon. And they've gone back to the old system of backing it by gold to provide confidence in that currency by saying, hey, we're backed by the, by the real only asset in the world that really is real money, gold. What do you think of that? Could that cause the world to say, all right, dollars done, we're shifting to the one? Well, I mean, it could. Uh, absolutely. And we're seeing this shift into uh, like the backing or using gold as backing. We're seeing the shift happening, especially as we discussed basal, the, the basal uh, integration as well a few a couple of years ago. But um, I definitely think that 
the United States uh, has made a lot of mistakes uh, in the in, in the past few years. Uh, I feel like there's been a lot of mistakes done. I feel like uh, the power has been taken kind of for granted. At the same time, they've kind of just given their power away. And I'll, I continue with the same opinion as to I feel like this is almost it seems almost too easy and too obvious. Like I have a hard time grasping and understanding that the U S govern government is willingly giving away this power and willingly making all the wrong decisions and, and, and basically running the United States dollar to the ground. Cause that's what it, that's what's happening. And me as a regular person, I see it and I have a hard time understanding why they would make such decisions. So I can't help but feel that somehow this is probably part of the plan. And then at some point we're going to see uh, what that plan is and we're going to see a shift in the sentiment. Now, that's not to say that we should ignore the movement that's happening and the movement with the BRICS and the fact that they're they're creating this basket of, of currencies and that that they're combating the dollar and they're, they're trying to uh, give away with the dollar as a reserve currency. I'm not saying we should ignore that. I definitely think we should be aware of it. Uh, but maybe there's a whole plan to all of this. I just think that it's almost too easy and it's almost too obvious and... I, I, we got smart people <laughs> and the smart people, I don't think they'll be making these kind of mistakes. Although the reality is they are making the mistake, but check out the power of this show. We talk about it and links already up 10%. So there you go. God's up pumping it up. But you know, let's talk about this as we wrap up this section here, Freddie, what are some things people can do now that we may be, nobody's lived through this. We have not in our lifetime live through the transition of being the world reserve currency and losing it. And every other nation has gone through it. And, you know, there's talk about maybe, you know, maybe invest in gold or silver or crypto. What are some of the things that you you're doing or think people can do to kind of help offset the blow of superinflation or hyperinflation when that day comes that the world reserve currency shifts? Oh man. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze this in really short because there's a lot of things you can do, but first to, to Mario, you know, Give a call to your local congressperson and really try and interact with them. And then after you try that for a couple of times, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's why we are where we are. And you won't have any more questions as to why the people are doing the things they're doing. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, John, you know, I think, you know, you can't really I don't think you can really be fully prepared. You know, if if uh, the S hits the fan, you know, it's going to hit it. So what's the best you can do to be most prepared, you know, for whatever reason? And, and I just say it's because it's worked for thousands of years in human history. Have gold. I don't know why everybody loves it so much, but they do. And it's undeniable. So have some real, real gold, have some real silver, have some, you know, Bitcoin and other digital assets. And then be be ready. I mean, you don't have to go nuts, but, you know, just if I live close to a city and everything goes crazy, you know, where where do I want to go? Where can I get out? Where can I be with friends and family? So if it does get crazy, you know, I'm not I'm not in the thick of it. And then, you know, you have a baseline plan and if it really does get crazy and hyperinflation and, you know, food is off the charts, you know, you got to you got to get out and, and look for greener pastures. But it's not worth, you know getting uh losing sleep over yeah i agree but don't forget also corner robert kiyosaki you're gonna want to have a couple cans of tuna as well freddie but with that said i agree. oh yeah <laughs> having some gold crypto and some cans of tuna is probably not a bad way to add your bets 
Um, you know, we're trying to, uh, yeah, <laughs> trying to make sure you've got yourself covered. But with that said, boys, we're going to switch gears now. So we talked about uh, what's happening on the on more of the economic side, so you can prep yourself. Now let's hop into a little XRP news here. Especially we got our man Freddie here today. Freddie, I didn't know this, and I don't know Gonzo Mar if you knew this because they didn't really tell us or they didn't make this very prominent. But three years ago, before the SEC slapped Ripple with a lawsuit. They came out to them and they offered them. How nice of this! Look how nice they were. They came out and said, "Hey, we're going to offer you a solution. You guys come out and you announce that the market. Uh, you announce to the market that XRP is a security, and you'll be and everybody will be given a short chance to come in and comply. And of course, you know the settlement. That was the settlement that they offered them. And, and Ripple said, "You know, screw you guys. Get the hell out of here. No, no chance. We're not taking that offer." And they fought it. And thank God they had the resources and the money to fight it. But could you imagine that they had gone to somebody, maybe a smaller company, or, or maybe some prevalent, but didn't have the money to fight it, and they accepted this deal and said, hey, yep, we're going to be a security. Freddie, what does it mean to the industry if Ripple says, hey, yeah, you know what, we'll take that deal, and now XRP is a security? What does that mean for the whole crypto industry? Well, you know, they there was talk when the lawsuit was filed that a settlement was offered, and I don't know if these details were released back then. It does sound a little bit new uh, to me. It's not ringing my radar that they were like, let's just say XRP is a security, but it does kind of make sense that that's the, the play they would try and do. And, you know, they were the SEC was always going in for the kill shot and XRP was a major currency. I mean, still is, you know, and if they were able to get one of the biggest companies to capitulate, that would have scared a lot of other companies, um, except, you know, the the chosen ones with the back backdoor deals and everything. But, you know, it would have tried to cut off a lot of other digital assets. You know, I mean, think of all the ones that have come after XRP just from the lawsuit alone that would have been, you know, may, may never even started at all. So, you know, as much as there are XRP and Ripple haters out there, you know, you have to at least respect the fact that, you know, even though it was obviously self-preservation and self-interest, can't deny that. Um, you know, they fought it all the way and they came out on top. And that is just, you know, a major win for digital assets that will only get more and more impressive as time goes on, especially as digital assets take over. And, you know, there'll be books and maybe even a few movies uh, written about it. So um, everybody in the crypto world really owes a, a debt of gratitude to everybody who um, not just Ripple, but, you know, everybody uh, who fought in that fight to try and, you know, get the message out that this is just blatant, you know, government overreach. Yeah, I mean, just imagine this. Imagine if they accepted this deal and cryptocurrencies are now securities. Every single every single crypto that's out there, if they wanted to survive, would then have to go register with the SEC. Correct, Freddie? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's what the SEC would say. And, you know, so it's then it becomes every single project out there. They have to say, am I going to fight the SEC or am I going to try and, quote, register? And the funny thing, well, I mean, the sad thing is that there never was a way to register. Exactly. And, you know, if, if Ripple said, you know, you can just see if Ripple said, all right, we'll say XRP is a security. Now let's register. And the SEC is like, wait, what? What? Ah, you can't register. And they're like, well, you just told us we could if we said it's a security. And, you know, all of a sudden you turn around and like the door is closed. It's like, we'll be back after lunch. 
and yeah. you know, he never, a lunch he never, never ends in the SEC again. Yeah, in fact, I remember when we were at, uh, I remember Jeremy Hover was talking about people would actually go like Gary was like, hey, yeah, just come on, fill out the form on the website, and you can sign up, no problem. The form, and you, and you go fill out the form, and the very first question I asked you, Freddie, is how many shares of stock do you want to offer for a cryptocurrency? I mean, come on, it was, it was just a joke that they were never ready. It always felt like the you know crypto was under attack, and obviously that was the way they were going to shut it down. Imagine, you know, to me, it would have been the biggest um, stifle of innovation. If every single project had to go get SEC approval, I mean, you would never say, you know, it would be very, very difficult, I think, for this industry to uh, to get off the ground if you had to go through that process. So thank God, as you said, Freddie, Ripple did the industry a favor. And of course, what happened right after the SEC came after Ripple? They didn't stop. They went after Binance, Coinbase, and Kraken. We know that they said, this is about a little older article, but the reason why I'm bringing it up is, We'll hop into the timing of this in a second as we get to our main story of the day. But the Securities Exchange Act continued its crackdown on cryptocurrencies. We know that they went after those three. The most recent was Kraken, where they're saying Kraken, and Freddie, maybe you can help help our folks understand here. They're saying Kraken intertwined the traditional services of an exchange or broker-dealer and a clearing agency without having registered any of those functions with the commission. Now, the question I have is, if XRP is not a security, and therefore, by the definition that Judge uh, Torres came out and said, all, um, uh, what do you call it, programmatic sales are not securities. Well, why would these guys have to register if that is law? Well, one, the law is that uh, there is no law. And the SEC is like, we're going to do whatever we want. And <laughs> you know, yeah. while there is no law, we can get away with trying to argue whatever we want. So you know, that's what it is so far. And in that Kraken lawsuit, um, you know, there was a big deal made when, when the SEC sues these exchanges. They always have a paragraph in the complaint about, here's all the... And I forget what they they were they were using first, but over the last year they now have settled on crypto asset security. That's the word that they use. Oh, um, you know, it doesn't exist. It's not yeah. an actual legal term. But in every paragraph of the complaint, they list a handful of digital assets that they say are securities. And so XRP was not in the one uh, in the Kraken lawsuit because they they just lost that obviously, and they can't put that in there. Or they'll look like idiots. So I guess I don't know why they didn't put it in there. We might as well try it again. Um, so yeah. yeah. So you know they're just basically saying you know it it can get really technical with the broker dealer clearinghouse requirements. I'm not an expert in that, but mm. it is really technical. But you know the bottom line being that hey we uh, we maybe took an L on the XRP, but there's you know thousands of other and you know dozens of high quality cryptos that we can still go after. So might as well do it and see if we can juice some money out of these, you know, multi-billion dollar exchanges. Yeah, and they certainly are doing that. In fact, they got a big chunk out of Nexo. They got a big chunk out of Kraken for their staking capabilities. Kraken pushed back on the lawsuit saying that they, um, their alleged, the alleged failure to register these functions has deprived investors of significant protections, including uh, inspection by the SEC. Uh, they go on to say that the complaint against Kraken alleges no fraud, no manipulation, no market, no customer losses due to hacking or compromised security and no breaches or fiduciary responsibility. What's interesting here, guys, is in September, <laughs> Kraken secured its electronic, it got an EMI license, I guess so, 
similar to being able to handle uh, currency from the Central Bank of Ireland, uh, as well as registering in Spain. So other nations, Gonzo, are saying, hey, the doors are open. Come here and play with us. What the hell is going on in the U.S.? Yeah, you know, Kraken was the first to settle over the staking program. And I think like in their minds, they thought, you know, they could move forward. They paid their pound of flesh and they can move on. And what ended up happening is the SEC came for round two, right? And if you look at the at the lawsuit, it's like basically a copy and paste of the Coinbase lawsuit. And we were just talking about like the Ripple lawsuit and how pivotal that was. Um, and I think we'll look back in the history of, of our asset class and Ripple is going to be one of the, the top ones, if not the number one one. You're going to have the grayscale one that's going to go in there that that took the ability of the SEC to continue to deny the spot ETF. We, we got to see how that plays out in January, right? Because they either need to come up with a new reason or they have to approve it, right? Because they're at a proven denial on, on the uh, 21 shares application. Um, and then the other big case that I think that we're going to look back is this Coinbase case. Right. And so Kraken really just needs to buy its time to see what's going on with that when we get the resolution of that. Right now, they're looking at it to see if it's going to get dismissed or not or if it goes forward. Um, so that's the big decision. But I think these are like really big cases that are, are being adjudicated and that are creating kind of the future of where this asset class is going to go. But you can see how different things can turn out. Right. Like if they would have accepted that deal, like you guys have already talked about, I think we'd be in a very different market. Right. That, that was the SEC's power grab. They were trying to get like a knockout blow and it failed, right? It was a bully that continuously picks on someone, but eventually faces someone that can punch them square in the face. And that's what Ripple did. And so now we have to see um, how it plays out. But I think that Coinbase case is going to be a very, very big decision because you can see that they're not charging these guys with any type of fraud. It's not an FTX situation, right? They're just charging them with different things that have to do with like licensing and how they um, how they how they run their business. Which with Coinbase, they're a publicly traded company, right? They when they applied to to go public, the SEC went up and down that company, and and they didn't change their business model, right? That's the big argument. It's exactly the same, and they didn't have a problem with them when they allowed them to go public, but now they have a problem with it now, right? And so I I think the SEC is going to take a very very big L in that. Yeah, and you know, one of the things, you know, Freddie, you mentioned earlier a little bit about the SEC kind of, you know, mix, mincing up words, calling it crypto asset. It sounds like they pulled the Hinman. Remember when Hinman just came out and said, hey, yeah, we got this new definition. You know, when they were, when they were saying it's sufficiently decentralized. Sufficiently decentralized, right? Nobody yeah. even knows what the hell that means to this day. But like you said, Freddie, I don't know why the SEC seems to get to make up any rules they want, unfortunately. And until Congress... You know, I guess, Mario, until we actually hear Congress come out with something, it just feels like it's the wild, wild west. Is that what you're feeling here? Or do you think we're finally going to get some regulation in 2024? I do feel I do feel like I feel like that the pressure is starting to, you know, pile on, especially as the they've come after Coinbase and Binance, which are, you know, the biggest in the industry. Um, I know a part of me also hopes that this finally comes to an end, that we finally see some regulation that allows for the space to move in a, in a certain direction. Because right now, everything is kind of in a limbo. Companies don't know how to operate in, in America as far as crypto is concerned. They're also scared of operating in America yep. because of how the SEC is doing this, these uh, enforcement actions. But I do believe that we are at this pressure point. And I think that as we've uh, as already as it, it has already been said by by the other guests, the Ripple has played a crucial part because Ripple decided to fight. 
and they had the resources, like you said, they had the resources and, and, and the money and, and the ability to fight the SEC. And they proved to the rest of the industry that there's a case here, that there's weakness coming from the SEC side. And I think the SEC has put themselves kind of uh, into a corner and now they're firing all, the, firing all these different shots at these other uh, at these exchanges instead of going after individual product uh, projects. Um, and I think that I think that they're going to take the upper hand, like the crypto side is going to take the upper hand eventually. And because of the fact that they've seen the rip, ripple take a take a, a pretty big pretty big win out of the SEC, they they now feel more confident into uh, actually taking on taking on the SEC and 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 trying to get something positive out of it. Freddie, does it make sense to me if you're the SEC and you're trying to? So here's the question I have for you: Is this a money grab, or do they want to really? Set the laws because why would you go after the companies with the most resources to fight you? Coinbase, Kraken, Binance, and Ripple. If you're trying to set the example, why not go after the little guys and set the law on the example with those guys that can't fight you? Instead, they went after the big boys. They're pretty much getting their ass kicked in every single round. <laughs> They're losing. But these guys all have deep pockets. So is this a money grab thing? Or are they trying to do what's right by the investor and protect the investor? Well, the the least of their concerns is protecting the investor, and you know the which problem is their is, number one priority, right? <laughs> and the problem, um, you know, it, it's multiple, and and I'll give my opinion a little bit from you know suing government agencies all the time. You know, before I got into crypto, I do um, you know a lot of personal injury stuff, and you know we sue, and that happens all over the place in government. Um, the VA with other departments that own different land that people get injured on. And, and, you know, the bottom line is that it is a sprawling government bureaucracy where, you know, hardly anybody has any decision-making power. And then those that do, it's concentrated at the top and it's usually in a political uh, position. So, and remember, they're not a business, so they don't have any type of profit loss to think about. It's just, how do I get my power and how do I impress the person that's going to give me, you know, that better job next? So you, uh, that's how I, you know, approach all of these situations. I don't think the SEC is any different. It's just more powerful. And they, you know, you were wrong about one thing, which is going after little guys. They go after the little guys plenty. You just don't hear about it a lot because they get the letter and they're like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? I don't got $10 million, $20 million to fight it. And they give up and they go away. It's it's happened a lot, you know. People just don't hear about it. It's it's happened a lot oh, to uh, all sorts of sorts of crypto projects. So, you know, they just typical government. We're cocky. We're gonna win. You know, why fight us? I mean, you see the big banks do it all the time. Gold spoofing is got a ten million dollar fine. I think it was City and maybe even J.P. Morgan. They got off. You know, they're just like we're gonna get our money, <clears throat> and usually it works. And you know. Um, uh, Gonzo mentioned it. Kraken folded like a Coleman tent on the first round, and so they get what they deserve on round two. I, I do like Kraken, but you know, you totally earned this second lawsuit, Kraken, by folding like that. So, um, you know, it, it's just not uh, it's not a decision that's being made from a logical standpoint. What the SEC is doing, they want power, they want the money, and they want the the control, and so. Only way they're going to stop is Congress or the courts, and Congress ain't doing anything right now. 
No, other than sitting on their hands. And I agree with you, Freddie. They folded like a $2 bill. They should have fought <laughs> a little bit. You know, maybe if Nexo and Kraken have fought a little harder, maybe they wouldn't be back in this case. Instead, they just they folded up to camp. Like you said, it's so sad that there really was no no real strong effort there. I guess they got scared. Well, now they get now they get to fight round two. And speaking of round two, you know, we, we got this, this article here today where Kraken is hopping into Ripple's legal battle. Little turn of events here, and, and I was hoping you could give us a little clarity. I'm going to read through this article, and then we'll hop through, uh, you know, get your thoughts on it. But basically, they talk here about um, U.S.-based cryptocurrency in Krakow having to intervene in the ongoing legal battle involving Ripple, and they call it the classification of the XRP security, but I don't think that's really what's happening here. So it's Kraken's involvement following a, follows a court order demanding U.S. exchanges to disclose private trading data of XRP transactions, including customer identities. So instead of accepting that lawsuit, it says here, Kraken opted for user privacy over compliance. They filed a motion to safeguard its clients' sensitive information underlying uh, the exchange's commitment to trust and confidentiality. It says here, at the heart of the Zakinov versus Ripple lawsuit is the debate of XRP's classification as security or currency. Zakinov alleges Ripple offered XRP as an unreserved security. Ripple countered the claim, saying XRP is, is like a crypto. Despite Ripple's efforts to challenge the lawsuit, it remains a significant hurdle here in the U.S. It says whether or not Judge District Judge Phyllis Hamilton will certify the class action, I guess, depending on whether they'll support, I guess, the ruling of what Judge Torres said or going in the opposite way. Uh, you know, As we know, on July 13th, Ripple triumphed in the lawsuit against the SEC. The court ruled XRP. It's not a security. We all remember that day. We were on the air live. We're like, what the hell? There's this big monster green candle. We knew something good had happened that day. Um, but that landmark decision, it says here, has set a precedence for classification and regulation of digital tokens in the U.S. But this is where Kraken's piece comes in, Freddie. Kraken's motion here to intervene adds a new layer, it says, to Ripple's ongoing legal challenges, um, steadfastly denying any legal, of course, Ripple saying there's no legal issues, Kraken's entry focuses on the privacy implications of the court orders. It says this move not only highlights the exchange's dedication to client confidentiality, but also places at the center of a pivotal debate on privacy and regulation coming into the crypto space. So I said a lot there, Freddie, and I'm so glad we got you on the show today to kind of decipher for our audience what the hell does this all mean from a legal perspective? Yeah, almost everything you were reading um, is is kind of nonsensical. That looks like an AI generated article, and you know is is uh, way more confusing than it has to be. So um, I'll try. It, it is a little complicated, but um, I'll, I'll do this as best I can. So the Zakanoff case that is a, a separate case that's happening in Oakland, uh, California, in the Northern District of California. It's a class action where an investor is suing Ripple saying, you know, basically I lost money and you owe me because uh, they bought XRP, the value went down when they sold it. Um, and so, you know, as a side note, we've got the SEC case in New York where the judge says XRP is not a security. Now that just, that is two things. One, it only is not a security in the law, in the smaller sense of the New York district court, but in the safe, more broader sense that it was against the sec. So the sec can't sue ripple anywhere else in the country saying XRP is a security. So, um, from a regulatory standpoint, that's why that's still such a great win. However, 
Um, and, uh, you know, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think there's anything that prevents the jury, the civil jury in the Oakland case from saying we think XRP is a security. And, you know, that is just something that's the way our, our court systems are set up, um, you know, because it's a different uh, it's a different district, different case. So that's what they're fighting for in that case is it's a civil case where they want everybody who lost money on XRP to be part of the class action so that Ripple has to pay whatever damages are if damages are found by a jury. And so what that actually means is that um, class certification was granted in that case. And that's the biggest hurdle you're trying to get over in a class action is that everybody that bought XRP can be included. That's where the real money comes in if you're a plaintiff's lawyer and you're trying to you know, get some, some justice for your client. Hmm. So, and if you guys want to stop me and you're like, all right, what's going on? I'm trying to figure it out. Just, just do it. Because I got a few more minutes to, to kind of go through this. What happened basically is that when class certification was granted, the plaintiff's law firm who represents the XRP investors said, we got to figure out everybody who lost money on XRP so we can let them know about this lawsuit. And so they sent out five subpoenas last uh, December 22. And um, the, uh, they sent out five subpoenas, and this was really interesting, two exchange, to, to five uh, of the top U.S. exchanges. Ah. Now, two exchanges caved immediately to those subpoenas without question, like little bitches, basically. <laughs> and I have to assume that Coinbase was one of those because I want to stop and do a PSA for everyone and say, from my personal experience suing Coinbase for straight up stealing your songbird, the company will absolutely you over in a moment's notice if it can save a nickel. So I'm very confident saying that Coinbase caved. I don't know what the other one was. Poloniex. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. P- Poloniex seemed like they had some type of dispute with the subpoena, but I couldn't tell from looking at the docket before I came on. Binance US agreed to provide customer information to the class action claims administrator. That's, you know, a third party that's very common in class actions. Kraken, to its credit, fought the subpoena in court and lost. And, you know, it's again, it's another question mark why Kraken does so many things right, but then decided to just, you know, play dead for the SEC. But anyway, Kraken fought the subpoena. They lost in court and the court said, you either got to give all this client info to the plaintiffs, uh, plaintiff's attorney. And just so everybody knows, there's safeguards. The plaintiff's firm, uh, you know, has to take a lot of safeguards so that this information doesn't get hacked. But, you know, nevertheless, they do get the information. But the court ordered Kraken, you either give them the client info or you provide your own notice to your customers. Um, And so they said, well, we're going to do the notice. The plaintiff's law firm said, this is the notice we want you to file. And Kraken basically said, we don't like this notice. You can, you're not letting us talk to our customers the way we want. We want to do a notice in a slightly different way. And so basically, they're basically trying to pull a John Deaton right now and file a motion to intervene. That's what um, John did in the SEC case with the XRP holders. And Kraken's just trying to get in front of the judge and say, we know we already lost. You, you know, we know you said we have to tell our customers about this, but we just want to change the words around a little bit and not 
be just a proxy for this plaintiff's firm. We want to put like a cover letter essentially on this notice. So that's all they're trying to do to get involved. It has nothing to do with the merits of the case. Um, but, you know, to anybody that had XRP, uh, at least as of, uh, this is back in 2018. So if you had XRP back in 2018 on any of these exchanges, you're going to get some type of notice saying you can be a part of this class action. Um, and, you know, it could, depending on what happens, it could be really substantial money. So it's almost like a, a back pocket type of deal if everything goes horribly wrong. Not that I wanted to, and I hope it's not, but, um, you know, if you, if you were on these exchanges at the time, you'll get that notice. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen. The trial in this case isn't until October of 2024. Dispositive motions. So, you know, what we saw about the XRP case in, uh, in um, at the SEC Ripple case, when that July 13th ruling came out, that's not going to happen until the end of this summer. Um, so that's all that's going on. I know I, I explained that for a while, but I really wanted to rant against Coinbase as well. Well, that's good. You got that in there too, Freddie. But Freddie, the key thing there uh, that you said, so that's good. So anybody, if you owned if you owned XRP 2018, you will most likely get a notice from your exchange. I have one question for you. If in the civil lawsuit, the judge or the jury, whatever, rules that XRP is a security, and now we've got another ruling in a different district, and a different type, not well, not civil. I guess it was whatever federal. Uh, the question is this: Now you got two different rulings. One saying it's security in a civil case. One saying it's not in a federal case. What happens? Does that go to to the Supreme Court, or how do you settle that? Because now you got two different rulings floating out there. What does that mean for XRP? Well, it, it happens all the time in law, and sometimes you, it's called a circuit split. So in you know the ninth, um, the Northern District of California is in the Ninth Circuit uh, um, Court of Appeals. The Southern District of New York is in the Second Circuit. Now it is a it's it's very different than if there were two civil suits in in those two um, circuits, uh, because then it's just a straight up split. This is, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of uncharted territory. You know, I haven't done the research on it, but I nothing's jumping out at me that something like it exists because you've got, you know, it's different because here you've just got a plaintiff, you know, it could be me suing Ripple over, you know, losing money versus the SEC, a government agency doing it in the District of New York. So that's, that's different. And the SEC can't sue in other districts, um, you know, to try again because that would be, you know, double jeopardy issues. So okay. from a federal regulatory perspective, XRP, XRP not a security is locked in until there's okay. any type of, any type of appeal. Um, but, you know, you could go to Texas uh, and Gonzo could sue to say XRP is a security. And it's possible that the Texas jury could say, nope, it's not. And the, you know, jury in California said it is. And then you just have a situation where, in, uh, in at least the Northern District of California, XRP is a security, and potentially that could spread to the whole entire Ninth Circuit, which is, you know, the West Coast of the U.S., and in the Fifth Circuit, where Texas is, I, I think, um, it's not. That's a handful of states, you know, in the South and, and Midwest, and so, you know, the bottom line is this is just how long our, our country works and then ultimately gets resolved by the Supreme Court if... Congress, you know, doesn't decide to do anything. So, I mean, it can be a total mess, um, you know, and it could very well shape out to be that way. But I mean, for all, I don't want to freak anybody out for all in, for all important purposes, 
federally, the SEC lost that that bet, and so we're good on that front. But yeah, you know, if you live in California and this jury says it's a security, then you're in a little bit of a limbo status. I mean, realistically, I, nothing's really going to happen. But you know, from a um, legal and technical standpoint, XRP could be a security on the West Coast. <laughs> Yeah, but again, not from a not from a perspective of the federal government shutting them down, just yeah. more from a perspective of individuals could go sue them and squeeze a little money out of them. But um, I would hope, you know, hopefully we'll get some congressional laws <laughs> to be able to come in and kind of nail that whole thing down for us. But as we switch gears here a bit, we got 510 people watching, guys. Give that like button a smash, smash that some bitch, send out the algorithm so we can watch the show and hear our thoughts and get in Freddy's as well. Uh, but with that said, boys, let's switch the topic a little bit and hop into what everybody loves to talk about here, price predictions. And, Gonzo, I'm going to kick this one over to you as our TA expert. I found uh, this this analysis online from, uh, I think it's Irago Crypto at Twitter, so you can go follow him. And here he talked about three different cycles, kind of looking at the XRP price points. And when he looked at him, he said cycle A, cycle B, and you can kind of see cycle C is forming. And what I found interesting here, Gonzo, is uh, let me see if I can make this a little bit bigger. And you know, in cycle A, you know, it kind of puts on the uh, the Fibonacci extensions, and you can see that in cycle A, it lasted about 700 days, cycle B, 644 days, and now we're around 511. So we're getting into that close breakout period where you know, seven 700 days or 644, you know, in both cases. So maybe we're arguably another 50, 100 days away before we see a breakout. But what I found interesting with some of the target prices that they've got listed here going up to the 1.68 extension. And I'll read them for our folks who are listening for the show on the radio. It's got uh, $3.33 for target number one. Uh, target number two was $7.35. And then target three, and I should say ranges. So target one range is anywhere between $3 and $7. Target two between seven and 13. And target three between 13 and $26 for uh, a 1.68 extension. So, Gonzo, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Do you believe this? Are we looking at, are these realistic price targets for XRP or is this crazy? No, um, absolutely. Actually, when I did the um, the exit prices, when I, when Coach Shady was looking at, at, at his exit prices and Jackie and I were helping him and we were discussing them, that's about like what we came up with, right? We added a little gematria. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers right now because I haven't looked at the chart in a while. I've been focused on, on, on other projects because XRP is going to take its time. When it moves, it moves. Like uh, when you see these like huge price predictions, like the thing that comes to my forefront is like, can we just get above 70 cents? Like, you know, like we've been ranging here at 63 for a while. And so you got to take it one day at a time. I know for sure, you know, we're going to a dollar here pretty soon, right? We have inefficient, like price action loves to like, when you get like a price with like what would happen when the lawsuit got resolved and we went up to 93 cents and we got rejected, right? And it, create, it creates that big wick, right? That's inefficient price action. And so um, it likes to fill those back in. So we know we're going to a dollar, right? And and there's nothing like, we talked about this yesterday, there's nothing like number go up to bring attention to a project and get people to start to pile in, right? That's just human emotion. So I think once we get above to that dollar range, is where you're going to see people starting to finally talk about it. I think that starts to happen next year, right? Like, you know, as, as much as people hate it, it is what it is. Bitcoin leads the market. The only reason these altcoins are running as hard as they are is because Bitcoin did it first, right? We came off our, our bottom at 15.8 and we've been rallying, right? 
Now Bitcoin dominance is dropping. Bitcoin's moving sideways, and now the altcoins are going to start moving. So I, I, I foresee some type of alt season, not like the full alt season. But if Bitcoin dominance continues to drop like it is, these arcs are going to run for the next couple of weeks, and we're already seeing it. So XRP is going to be part of that, right? Yeah, and Freddie, as we talked about earlier in the show, as these prices start to move up, you're going to want to make sure you have an exit strategy because we don't want to do what you did just recently, what we did the prior bull one. We watched the prices go all the way up, and then we watched the prices come all the way down. And guys, that's why we created Merlin, the smartest way to track your crypto, because you get to put all your assets in one place. You can actually see them all in one place, see what's going on, get a total of what's happening on the day, get a total of what's happening on for the total. You can see all your, your profits and losses all in one column, all in one place. And the most important part is you can actually create an exit strategy, as you see here, uh, Freddie. And what this does is you, you kind of tell it what you want it to do, You know how much you want to sell, how much you want to hold in the long run. It actually calculates it for you. Then you tell your price targets, you enter them in. It tells you how much coins to sell per that based on the plan you entered. And most importantly, Freddie, you get a nice text alert that says, hey, we just reached your first price target. And now you no longer have to think. You just got to go to your computer, hit the sell button, go into your exchange and sell it. And it kind of takes that, that whole emotion out of the game. Because think about it. When you're in this game and the prices are skyrocketing, things are mooning, nobody thinks they're going to come down, right? And so you just like, ah, I'm going to continue to hold. I'm going to continue to hold. And that's exactly what the elites want. So you become excellent liquidity. Guys, click on the link below. You get a free 30 days to try it out. We're trying to give you a tool to take the emotion out of the game so you don't become me or Freddie and just watch your prices go up and all the way down. That's not happening in this bull run. You can't. Nobody's got excuse now. We got a tool out there. And so we got to make it happen. And Gonzo, I think you had said not that long ago, couple of your alerts were going off or maybe it was you Mario. you were getting some alerts going off most recently or it helped you to get out when uh when things started pumping i don't know if you want to share that experience yeah that was me i had that 40 not that was triggered by merlin i'm i'm also getting alerts i was getting alerts as solana was getting really close to, to to my first exit target um i've been getting alerts on some of the other holdings that i have like miria uh, that was pretty close to one of my cells as well. So yeah, I've actively been getting alerts. I had an exit plan in the last bull run, which I was using a spreadsheet. It's certainly a lot easier to be able to get notified through text and email. And then I could just go into the exchange. Actually, I'm, I'm going to have, as I get that 15% alert, I'm going to have the cell already. Um, I'm going to have a limited order already set up so that it can just trigger it automatically. There you go, Johnny, man. I'll say the only thing I want you to work on in beta is when uh, any user maybe ignores the text, have <laughs> a hand reach out of the phone and just slap your face a little bit. And then you know, oh, I really get the message because I did, I did that in 21 too. <laughs> I love that, Freddie. I'm going to talk to my team and we're going to design in. We're going to design in the fresh one. You ever see that? One? You're going to get a fresh one. Pow! You don't sound bad. If you don't click it, you're, <laughs> you're going to get a smack. I like it. That's beautiful, Freddie. Thanks for the suggestion. Um, and with that said, guys, we got 476 people watching. Smash that like button. Get the algorithm out there. We're going to shift gears here. And now we're going to kick it over a little bit and talk a little bit about Bitcoin because we know that that is going to be the big narrative in 2024. So let's let's take a look at what Grayscale uh, says here about, about the BTC ETF. And we're going to hop into it and kick it around the room. 
happen here? Grayscale is one of about a dozen firms to apply for a spot Bitcoin ETF in the middle of lots of changes in terms of regulations for this uh, area of the market. What are you expecting? Well, I got to say, Maria, we've never seen this level of engagement with the SEC that we've had over these last couple of weeks. We're really getting into the granular details of how spot Bitcoin ETFs would come to market. You know, for us, this is the number one mission uh, of the firm, uh, ticker GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. This is our flagship fund. And we've been working to uplist it to a spot Bitcoin ETF for years now. Um, and we remain optimistic. This is a matter of when not a matter of if there we go not a matter of when it's a matter of when not if and you know they certainly have been working it for a while and as you can see here oh you know what i gotta uh unshare and reshare i want to share with you guys what they just literally did yesterday and unfortunately because let me just share this last window with you and you'll be able to see here that they just switched their uh filing application Freddie, so they switched it from what's called an in-kind. They removed that language out of their application and switched over to a cash creates version because the SEC has said we'll allow that. Most of our audience has no freaking clue what an in-kind versus cash creates um, means. And so maybe you could share a little bit of your thoughts on kind of what that means. Is there an impact? Does that matter to the overall industry as we get this Bitcoin ETF or as we move closer towards it? Yeah, so the answer is it... it it matters and it doesn't matter depending on your perspective. Um, I mean, the, the the filings for ETFs, if you actually read the whole thing and, and the requirements and just securities in general are so mind-numbingly complex that, you know, if you're not doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, um, you know, you could be in real trouble. So I, I can give you guys the basics, but I'm not going to pretend like I know every single thing about, you know, all the fine details. But the the, the overall thing in cash um, or cash create and in kind is that when you have a, a single commodity ETF like gold or silver, um, you've got an authorized participant, an AP, which is who's allowed to trade in and out of that ETF in kind usually. So um, it, it's actually, you know, silver and gold are going in and out of, of the trust and that of the trust that the trust issuer who holds the ETF. And so the, uh, and there's a lot of tax advantages for that because then when you exchange in kind, there's no taxable event. When it's cash, the AP, and these are like banks, for example, that would be an authorized participant. And one of those reasons is because some of the banks might not be allowed to hold Bitcoin um, on their on their uh, balance sheets or interact with it. That's why you also have custodians in the ETF and you see Coinbase is a custodian. So the, you can see how the chain gets a little um, troublesome that because we're talking about a cryptocurrency that's different than, you know, something where a bank, you know, doesn't have those kind of issues holding, you know, gold or silver, you know, in a vault somewhere, you know, with another authorized person that they're working with or, or company. So when you have to do cash in, cash out, that's a taxable event each time. And so it makes fees higher. It makes, um, it less profitable to do that because it is a taxable event each time. So that's why, you know, at the end of the day, I think everybody Fred, does it, does it create sell pressure? Because usually like uh, my understanding of the spot ETF is it settles in what it was. So since they're making it go cash in cash out, does that cause sell pressure then? 
because you have to sell the Bitcoin to settle it? So it can. And that's why, you know, this is where when it's just all cash in, cash out. I mean, you have to have the underlying Bitcoin. Don't get me wrong. They need right. to um, the, the trust issuer who holds ETF has to, you know, constantly add and sell uh, Bitcoin in there. But when it's um, cash in, cash out like this, there's more of a chance to engage in some shadiness. Um, mm. And even if not shadiness, just some inefficiency. Uh, because, you know, it's not coming in and out in kind. And so there can be sell pressure, you know, there can be buy pressure, but there can also be, you know, that, well, you know, that's when you can start creating notional Bitcoin or paper Bitcoin, you know, mm -hmm. to, and, and not even if you're, if you're not even mm -hmm. trying to do it to be shady, just because things are happening so fast and you can't get the Bitcoin, the real Bitcoin in time. Um, and so, and, and, you know, this has happened in all sorts of ETFs and, and, uh, you know, that's why there's different gold ones out there. You hear of the paper gold ETF, I forget what it is, but you know, then there's the, the, the physical, the more physical gold ETFs, but at, you know, at the end of the day, everybody that's probably watching is like, well, I'm obviously just buying my Bitcoin directly. You know, the ETFs, I don't think are for us, you know, in the sense that most people watching are, are going to get their Bitcoin themselves, you know, but it is for a huge market that's just going to be okay. We want some exposure. We want to go through Fidelity. We want to go through BlackRock and we get it. Um, is that going to, you know, everybody sure is betting that it's going to, you know, rocket up the price. There's a lot of ETFs out there already. They're called ETPs in other countries, but, you know, I mean, American markets do move the global market. So that could be a reason why we haven't seen anything crazy. But, you know, the, the bottom line is, G, uh, Grayscale was the last one to kind of fight this. And I'm sure they're pissed. But one of the reasons is because there was a lot of arbitrage they were able to do on GBTC and a lot of uh, borrowing against the person who held the Bitcoin, which surprise, surprise is the digital currency group. So they made a lot of money on, uh, on, on GBTC that they're not going to be able to make in, in this way. And um and I think uh, they really wanted to capture that last bit of money by doing in kind. So we could see another lawsuit uh, from them after these are all approved saying we should be allowed to do this in kind. Um, but they don't want to miss out on the bonanza that gets started when everything's, you know, um, granted in the next week or so. So we're just going to see how it plays out. So, Freddie, is that the key? They're doing this because most entities can't buy and sell Bitcoin. So if they do it in cash... Are you saying it just allows more of the bigger institutions and banks to play earlier on in the process? Is that it in a nutshell? Yeah, essentially, it's it's called authorized participant AP. It's these because <clears throat> think about it when you buy BTF when you buy an ETF on you know a, a Vanguard or a Fidelity. Mm. I mean, when you buy the physical gold ETF, um, I mean, I never put gold in and I never get gold out. I just put uh, cash in. Right. Um, because I, as a retail investor, you know, that's what I'm allowed to do through my brokerage. Uh, but those other, you know, higher levels above, like the authorized participants, they can go in and out of gold. And so, you know, the, the retail are only putting cash in and getting cash out for the ETF. But the authorized participants, um, you know, that are really moving it with, you know, just massive quantities, you know, billions of dollars um, worth of Bitcoin or cash. They can only do um, cash now. It's just going to be all cash. I don't even think you're allowed to um, with these. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure 
there's no in kind at all. It's not like an either or. It's just only cash. And I think that'll be litigated in the future. But for now, it is, yes, so that the authorized participants who can't hold Bitcoin or maybe don't want to hold it can still participate and get those fees. It's all about making money for the big boys. So, Fred, I got to ask you a question. I'm confused here. So talk, talk to me back on my five-year-old or to our audience just so they can get it. So I go and I – this Bitcoin let, – let's do an example. It gets approved. I come in and I want to get a piece of this ETF and I put it, I don't know, a thousand bucks down, right? And I buy the ETF. That thousand goes to the AP. Doesn't the AP, even though they get the cash, don't they have to buy the underlying asset, in this case, Bitcoin, at some point in time? Not the AP. Um, or who, and who needs to buy it? Who Doesn't somebody need to buy the Bitcoin? So the the trust issuer would need to buy the Bitcoin. So the trust that holds the ETF. So, um, you know, in this case, like BlackRock would have to have the Bitcoin. Okay. But the but like a, uh, a JP Morgan or a Citibank, um, there they could be the APs that are creating or redeeming shares of the ETF. Um, and so. Again, I don't want to get too far out of my field. This is very general. It can get very, it is very specific and very complex as to how many shares can be created, redeemed, and by whom and on what basis. But okay. basically, BlackRock ETF, they have to have the Bitcoin, but the authorized participants can create and redeem shares continually. And they're only creating and redeeming in cash. Got you. Okay. Now I understand that there. So some company entity owns the underlying asset. The intermediary in between, if it was in kind, would have to buy and sell in Bitcoin. In this case, they have the ability to buy and sell in cash as paper Bitcoin, if you will, equivalencies. Okay, now I get it. That makes sense. Because at the end of the day, I'm just trying to understand, will this drive the price of Bitcoin up or down or manipulate it? You know, does it give it more ability to manipulate and not have to buy the underlying asset? But it sounds like, no, the, the, the asset issuer still needs to, or the, sorry, the ETF issuer still needs to buy the underlying asset as they issue new shares. From what yeah. And so, you know, the, you, you go there where, you know, BlackRock's got to own a certain amount of Bitcoin, but does the Bitcoin they own, is that on, on loan from digital currency group? And is that mm -hmm. Bitcoin, you know, on loan from somebody else? Who, I mean, and that's what happened in 08, the financial crisis um, with, uh, you know, some of these, uh, mortgage-backed securities and other yep. assets. It's like, well, who actually owns the actual asset? Because there are so many derivatives and everything out there. Now, again, I, um, I'm just saying what's happened in the past with some other of these, you know, kind of notional or paper ETFs, it could be a lot more uh, locked in on um, these Bitcoin ones. I haven't, I have not read through every single S, uh, S1 um, of, uh, or S3 forget what, what they're called of, of all these applicants. So, and the SEC, you know, at, at the, at the same time, you know, the SEC could be like purposefully creating a situation where it ends in disaster because, yeah. you know, they want to say, Oh, we told you we did our best. The court forced us to do it, you know, almost trying to get it to fail. So, you know, there's a lot of big question marks out there as to what's going to happen. You know, we'll see. But that's why, you know, every I think most people out here are, are just like, well, I'm just going to buy my Bitcoin directly. That's a great way to bypass all the concerns you've got. Yeah, it certainly feels like they're creating a situation. It's funny you said that 
where why wouldn't just do in kind and make it simple? Instead, they've done it where it's more complex. And it seems like there's ways to, you know, buy and sell through cash and not have to maybe eventually buy the underlying assets. So it certainly feels like it's being set up for failure. Hopefully that won't be the case. Um, you know, and, and, and one of the things that came up and I was wondering if you can, one of our, one of our, a few of our folks say that you can sue Bitcoin. And now that you're an attorney, I wanted to kind of throw this question at you. Is it true? Like we know that Bitcoin, if you apply it to the Howey test, we don't even know who the entity is and there has to be an entity. Um, but, but we keep hearing all the time that, you know, Bitcoin can be sued. Bitcoin can be sued. And I'm not so sure I agree with that, but I'd like your take on, is it true? Can Bitcoin be sued? I mean, Gary came out, said it's, it's not a security. It's the only one he did mention. That's not a security. He said it in a con congressional meeting and it doesn't meet the Howey test. So I'm curious, are we thinking about it wrong or, or is Bitcoin a security in your opinion? Well, you can uh, sue anybody for anything. It's just how, how Let's far talk you can about the probabilities. It. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the probabilities are extremely low, but I mean, if you knew, I mean, there's multiple levels you could attack Bitcoin at. And so this could always happen for whatever reason. It seems like nobody, the regulators are not going to do it. So that's why you might hear me and others shorthand that there's legal clarity for Bitcoin. I mean, just because the guy at the head of the SEC said it. Now, of course, he could change his mind, but the heads of the SEC have said it for um, 10 years now. So why would they change? But, you know, basically one, find out who created it. And you could definitely make a argument that um, everything meets the Howey test. I don't know how far you'll get, but it'd be, you know, very similar to the XRP argument, any of these other um, uh, digital assets that have been sued. You can certainly make a non-ridiculous argument. And then you could also go after the miners um, that are mining Bitcoin and saying they're all in a um, uh, privity uh, to, you know, get the security of BTC out there. Um, so those are probably, and the miners would obviously be the most easiest way to go about it because of quote unquote, not knowing who the creators are, you know, whether you believe that or you don't believe that, but, you know, it could definitely be sued. There's definitely, um, solid, not ridiculous legal arguments that can be made. You'd either have to sue the creators or probably go after the miners. Um, or, you know, if you really wanted to, you could go after individual holders, but you could do that for any um, digital asset and, and it hasn't been done yet. So again, those are the, the creators and the holders are low probability, you know, lawsuits. Um, but the miners would be the best one, I think, if you really want to try and go after them. Yep. So, so obviously, like you said, anything can be sued. If they did go after the miners, in your opinion, what's the probability that they would actually be able to win something like that against these miners based on the Howey test? Because no, I think I don't think the miners are offering the product as a profit, right? It's not the miners doing that. To the yeah, exactly. They're just mining it and then they're you know selling it on the market, and you know, but that was the argument the SEC made on the. Um, uh, programmatic sales in uh, the Ripple case. And, you know, the, the court there, Judge Torres said, now listen, when it gets onto the secondary market, that's, you know, a whole different ball game. And so that's what the miners would argue. And, you know, but the, the bottom line comes down to if um, there, there's obviously a reason that the SEC hasn't done this yet. Um, I'm sure it's been discussed and talked and there's memos, secret memos on it, you know, in, in their file folder. Of course there are. Um, but, 
you know, if they wanted to, you pick out a miner that's weak and you go after them. And, you know, would anybody come to their defense? Would they fight it? What would happen? I mean, you know, and again, this is all low probability. I think of the low probability lawsuits, suing the miners would be the best one. Um, but, you know, it all, you know, at the end of the day, a lawsuit is the government from the SEC, the government saying, we're right, you're wrong. And the only way you can prove us wrong is if you spend a lot of money and fight us. And, you know, that's, that's always what the danger is. I don't think, you know, doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but is it, uh, and the longer time goes by, the more it would be very hard for the SEC or any agency to do because of statute of limitations issues. Um, so, you know, that's why I think we're, we're getting closer to the clear, but still a possibility. That's what happens when you don't want to make laws, Congress. Well, there you go. So here you have it, guys. There's a possibility, but it sounds like, Freddie, what you're saying, a very, very low probability that A, they would sue, and B, they would actually win from what I'm hearing, right? Correct. Yeah, so there you go. So for anybody who was hoping Bitcoin is going to get sued, I hate to burst your bubble. Most likely not going to happen. And secondly, if it did, they'd probably lose. We'll just wrap it up right here. I'm not going to hop into this story, but there is talk about the Bitcoin ETF approval coming in about two weeks with price targets of 200K. Just want to kick it around the group real quick and see, you know, Gonzo, what's your take? You think this thing's coming in two weeks? Um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that's the pro that, that is the higher probability, right? This whole thing and going back to the lawsuit thing, it's all risk reward, right? Like you, you got to like have your investment thesis. And if you believe like if in XRP and you believe that's the way and you put all your money in that, then, you know, bless you. I, I hope like I have my position. I hope you're right. Right. But it's all risk reward. Just like if you put all your money in a meme coin, can you make a shit ton of money? Yeah. But the probability is that they're going to dump on you and you're going to lose a lot of money, right? It's all risk reward. And so you have to have an open mind that we might come to that deadline and they might come up with a new reason to deny the spot ETF, which would cause a major correction in the market, which would affect the altcoins, right? It's a small possibility, but you have to have an open mind to it. You can see, I can see a future where they do that. They come up with a new reason and then they wait for March to approve all the applications at one BlackRock being like the main one, right? Um, or you see another probability where they just approve them all, right? So they can't pick, they can't be seen as picking winners and losers. And so that's where risk reward, and then you kind of have your portfolio based on that. What are the probabilities? What are the probabilities that, that Bitcoin is called a security or sued? That's why in our world, Bitcoin is less risky than some of the other plays, right? That's why a lot of people tie up their value inside of Bitcoin. And so, um, so yeah, I'm more than likely it's going to get approved, but you always have to have an open mind that it doesn't. And you have to have a plan in case that happens. You have to be ready to act. All right. So Gonzo thinks it's going to happen soon. Mario, I'm coming to you on the price. The last bull run, it was 69,000. Everybody kept talking. We're going to hundred. Now we're at 40 and everybody's saying we're going to 200. Where do you think we're really going with the price of Bitcoin? And we'll wrap this bad boy up. Well, I definitely don't think that we're going to get 200,000 just this quick. Uh, I, I, I don't doubt we'll get to 200,000 over time, but it's not going to be over the course of the next few weeks, even the next couple months. Um, but I agree with what Gonzo said that, that I share the same opinion. I think that there's a very high chance that the price of Bitcoin is already, it's already priced in, uh, into what, what the, uh, with all these ETFs coming out. But I think it's more important than what, what price will it go to is what are you going to do? 
once the news comes out and once we get the price action and the price action could be positive depending if it's positive news or the price action could be negative if it's negative news and the price price action could be negative if we get the positive news because by the rumor sell the news happens all the time and so i definitely think that charts uh have been telling us that if we repeat previous cycles we're due for a for for a pretty uh heavy correction and these heavy corrections happen you know every single time we go into this bull run phase and so maybe who knows that there there is probably going to be a chance that the bitcoin etf as gonzo stated could be declined uh this this january and pushed over to march and that could give us that 30 percent correction average 30 percent correction that the markets uh have given us in the past again who knows but i think the best thing you can do is just be prepared for either scenario and have a game plan if it goes up do you have an exit strategy if it goes down are you planning to buy more so or are you just going to sit in your hands there you go fellas well there you have it right from the horse's mouth I just want to, we got 408 viewers. Everybody smash that like button. And I want to say a quick thank you to our friend, Freddie. Thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. Gonzo, Mario, thank you for joining us today. With that said, we're going to wrap this up. Like we always like to say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Let's go. Let's go.